please sit down. I'm now going to hand over to Caroline, I think he's going to do the reading, and then to Mike for the sermon. Thank you very much. I'm reading from Luke 19, and I'm starting at 28, and it's entitled, The Triumphant Approach to Jerusalem. Jesus said this and then went on to Jerusalem ahead of them. As he came near Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead of him with these instructions. Go to the village there ahead of you. As you go in, you will find a colt tied up that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If someone asks you why you're untying it, tell him that the master needs it. They went on their way and found everything just as Jesus had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying it? The master needs it, they answered, and they took the cloak to Jesus. Then they threw their cloaks over the animal and helped Jesus get on. As he rode on, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near Jerusalem, at the place where the road went down, down the Mount of Olives, the large crowd of his disciples began to thank God and praise him in loud voices for all the great things that they had seen. God bless the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God. Then some of the Pharisees in the crowd spoke to Jesus. Teacher, They said, command your disciples to be quiet. Jesus answered, I tell you that if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will start shouting. He came closer to the city, and when he saw it, he wept over it, saying, if you only knew today what is needed for peace but you cannot see it. Well, I am really grateful for the opportunity of being able to preach on Palm Sunday, one of those great days of the Christian year. On those days where it's hard to sit down. I mean, you want to get up, you want to raise your hands, you want to shout, you want to march around, you want to parade. You need something to wave. And in a world of bad news, and we get so much of it, it's good to be able to celebrate. And in our minds, the years almost drop away and we join the crowds and we shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know the story well. Of course, the downside is that uh, if we know what the preacher's going to say, we probably don't think we need to listen very much. I'm like that. If I know what the sermon's like, going to be like, I think, 
then my listening skills are not so good. You know, before I retired, I'd been a pastor of a church in South Croydon for 13 years, and every Palm Sunday, we looked at a different aspect of it. So we looked at Jesus, we looked at the Pharisees, we looked at the crowd, we looked at the disciples, we looked at palm branches, we looked at the words spoken, we looked at the stones crying out. I even preached on the donkey when I got desperate. And if you've been in church, you'll have heard all these angles and more. So how can we look at it again with new eyes, with fresh eyes, and and see what we may have missed? Okay, I've got a question for you. How many of you, either at work or in education, have heard of a SWOT analysis? S-W-O-T. Put your hands up if you've heard of SWOT. Okay, can somebody tell me what SWOT stands for? Yes. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Nobody knows who... Yeah, yeah, give her a clap. Well done. Nobody knows actually who first invented that, but it's a wonderful way of asking some basic questions about something and and getting to know the thing a little bit better. Asking about those strengths, those weaknesses, those opportunities and threats. So what we're going to do is a SWOT analysis of Palm Sunday. We're going to look at the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities and the threats. And hopefully uh, we'll get to understand it a little bit better. So that's where we're going. That's the kind of map of our journey before we set out. Let's look at strengths, first of all. Uh, And first of all, Palm Sunday was an incredibly positive experience. It looked like a declaration of who Jesus was, not in words, but in actions. You know, Jesus was very careful not to give ammunition to his enemies by what he said. He always thought carefully about what he was saying, unlike some of our politicians who open their mouths and then think later. So for Jesus, this was a way of proclaiming that he was king, but at the same time, king, but not the kind of king they are expecting. Not riding into town on a horse to do battle with the Romans, as people wanted, but deliberately riding on a donkey. Jesus planned it down to the last detail. He organised this donkey to ride on from an owner who was sympathetic to him, willing to lend it. He organised the timing. He organised a secret password so that the owners knew that when the disciples came, this was the genuine, real thing. Do you know passwords predate computers? He didn't need a capital letter, he didn't need a symbol, he didn't need any numbers, just the master needs him. That was enough. A strong password. And it all went to plan. The crowds responded as Jesus knew they would. They didn't have a script, but they knew the scripture. They shouted words from the Psalms. They threw their cloaks down on the road. They tore down branches from the trees and waved them as they chanted. And although Jesus was the Son of God, he was also human, as we know, And this day surely must have encouraged him, must have emboldened him, giving him confidence to walk through the next week as he had to. 
And following Palm Sunday, we see Jesus fired up, going into the temple, overturning the tables of the money changers, declaring that this was to be Father's house, not a marketplace, a place of prayer for all nations. He may not have dared do that the week before, but now he can. Now he has a new strength and he'll need all of that for what's to come at the end of Holy Week. So it was strength for Jesus, it was strength for the 12 disciples. I think it strengthened their faith. It sent Matthew back to his Bible, to the prophet Zechariah and that verse that uh, David reminded us of us. Look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey. They probably didn't take it all in at the time. It was too much. They were swept along with the emotion. But after Jesus left them, they understood the huge significance of what he'd done. They searched the scriptures and the penny dropped. Do you know that all four gospel writers include this in their account? There are relatively few events that are recorded by all four gospel writers. Often the approach of the later gospel writers was, well, I'm not going to tell you the bits you know already. I'm going to tell you new things that you haven't got. But they're united in saying, this is so important. We can't leave it out. Strength for Jesus, strength for the disciples, strength for the crowd, I think. It crystallized their thoughts about Jesus. They've been thinking, well, who is he? Is he what he claims to be? Is he not? <coughs> Perhaps many of the crowd were sitting on the fence, unsure, uncertain, but now comes a moment to decide, a moment to act. And many did just that. They threw their cloaks on the road. <coughs> Let me take a glass of water. It reminds me of what uh, Walter Raleigh did for Queen Elizabeth, throwing his cloak on the road. That was the way they welcomed a war hero. That was the way they welcomed a king. That was the way they rolled out the red carpet, as David said. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, they were used to waving branches. They cut them down. They waved them whilst they were reciting words from the psalm, save us, which is what Hosanna means. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So although there might be a few of that crowd who were simply caught up in the emotion of the moment, uh, and it must have been a, a fever pitch of excitement and fervour, I've no reason to doubt that most of them meant, quite sincerely, they are welcome to Jesus. Now, some have said, well, of course, the crowd a few days later were shouting crucify him, so they didn't really mean what they said. I actually don't buy that argument. I think that was a different crowd. I think that was the supporters of the religious leaders and the establishment. We've got no suggestion at all that these people changed their minds. A few rogue ones here and there might have done, but many were sincere. They'd come to a decision, they'd come to a belief, and they found a way of expressing the fact that Jesus was God's man. And it strengthened their faith. So there are lots of strengths here. Strength for Jesus, strength for the disciples, strength for the crowd, and strength against the opposition. You know, the religious establishment had set themselves on a collision course against Jesus. 
plotting to destroy him. Do you know, in Mark chapter 3, we read of the plot to kill Jesus starting to be hatched very early on in his ministry. Just after he'd healed somebody on a Sabbath day, the authorities said, we're going to get rid of this man. But this was... uh, It was strength against their opposition. Because as the Gospels go on, you know the plot to kill Jesus gains momentum. But there are two setbacks to that plot on Palm Sunday. First, we're told that the disciples were angry because of the noise that his followers are making. They tell Jesus to, to make them quiet, to shut them up. And Jesus said, well, if they're quiet, even the stones in the road are going to start shouting. And the Pharisees had no answer to that. And then, secondly, at the end of the day, reflecting on what had happened, John tells us what the mood was like in the Pharisees' camp. They were very downbeat. They said, we're not making any impression at all. It looks as if the whole world is going after him. Which is strangely prophetic as we live in a world where 30% of the population of this world claims some allegiance to Jesus Christ. It was strength against the opposition. So many strengths. You see, the majesty of Jesus kept breaking through. You couldn't stop it. We have a granddaughter who comes and stays with us. Uh, And when she comes, all the toys come out and uh, the house becomes child-friendly for a time. Uh, And then she leaves and we, we pack things up. But you know, the evidence of her coming is always there somewhere or another. Maybe because she's rearranged the fridge magnets. Or maybe because there are toys that have been left out. Maybe the bits of blue tack left from where she stuck things on the wall. Or maybe it was that bit of Lego I found underneath the sofa the other day. There's always little bits and pieces of her presence breaking out. And that's true of the majesty of Jesus. It can't be held down. It breaks out. It appears... And that should encourage us. This story should inspire us. This story should enable us to praise. In the church where I grew up, every Palm Sunday, we sang the same hymn, All Glory, Lord, and Honour. Written by a man born in Spain in 1740. uh, Sorry, 740 AD, a long time ago. A French bishop. And the last part of his hymn says, To you before your passion, they sang their hymns of praise. To you, now high exalted, our melody we raise. As you receive their praises, accept the prayers we bring. For you delight in goodness, O good and gracious King. So many strengths in that amazing Palm Sunday. But what about weaknesses? Are there any weaknesses in this? You you might say, well, it's God's story. It's perfect. Uh, But it's also a human story played out by real human beings. And human beings have frailties and weaknesses. Jesus knew that only too well. And I think the weakness here is the weakness of the fragile, childlike faith of the crowd. We said that their faith was real. John tells us that the story of Lazarus coming back to life had spread and people were curious. They wanted to know more. They knew the family. They couldn't refute the evidence. 
and people were ready to accept that Jesus was Messiah. But that left them vulnerable. They needed to know more. It was hard enough for the disciples who'd been with Jesus for three years every day. Even then, faith was not easy. What about those who had no such privilege? There are so many people in this story who want to welcome Jesus but know hardly anything about him. After his resurrection, Jesus had a long chat with Peter. Peter had got things wrong, you remember. He ended up denying Jesus and Jesus wanted to put things right, especially as he had a job for Peter. And he said it three times, feed my sheep. There were so many sheep out there that needed teaching, helping, encouraging, inspiring. Like those who waved their palm branches and shouted hosannas and really meant it. But then life got back to normal and Jesus was crucified and they they needed teaching. They needed to hear more. They needed to know what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. They needed encouragement. They needed to grow. Feed my sheep. And the very last words that Jesus spoke to his followers were, go to all people everywhere and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. There are so many people who are not against us. They're on our side, but they have a weak and fragile faith that needs strengthening and giving good foundations. You know, these people are around us. They're in Cottenham. They're in the places we go to. They're people who went to church once, perhaps. People who might have waved a palm branch if they'd been there. But they've no opportunity to learn anymore. They don't go to church. So feed my sheep in Cottenham. Find ways to encourage people who are with us, not against us, and yet... Not here on a Sunday, not committed, not understanding what it means to be a disciple. We need to find people that we can encourage and help and enable them to grow. So that was the weakness, the weakness of a crowd who needed teaching. And then opportunities, an open door. And although the opposition had been wrong-footed on Palm Sunday, Jesus wasn't naive He knew they would be back, all guns blazing. He knew that their defeat would kick them into being more determined to kill him. Jesus knew that his life was going to be taken from him. He understood the scriptures. He wasn't surprised by how things turn out at the end of the week. But before all that happened, he created a wonderful opportunity for his ministry. Luke tells us that the Pharisees... Um, were tied for a time because the public was so for Jesus, they felt there was nothing they could do. And Jesus takes the opportunity that Palm Sunday gives him and the last week of his life is rich in teaching and in stories. He tells the parable of the tenants, so obvious uh, that the tenants were the Pharisees saying, here's the son, let's kill him. He talks quite openly about rising from death. He talks more openly about being Messiah. He rebukes those who are into religion only for what they can get out of it rather than for what they can give. 
He talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. He talks about his coming again. He talks about the need to be watchful. He summarizes the law and the prophets into love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And then at the end of that week, he eats the Passover meal with his disciples for the last time. He washes their feet. And he gives them the most amazing teaching session that's ever been given. Inaugurating what we celebrate when we share bread and wine, the new covenant in his blood. Time after time in that last week, whilst he had the opportunity, he took the chance he was given to affirm who he was, to preach what it meant to follow him, to declare that God was in control of today and tomorrow. So I simply ask us, what are the opportunities that are presented to us in Cotton? Where's the opportunity to practice the gospel? Where's the opportunity to show the love of Jesus Christ, the care of our Lord? Where are the opportunities to say things about what we believe? Where are the opportunities to work together with others for the sake of the gospel? Where can we make contact with people so that we can help them to see the love of God for themselves? In the last church I worked in, the biggest opportunity came in a very ordinary way. It was a letter asking for me or somebody else to go to a meeting. Do you know, we're always being asked to go to meetings. And I couldn't go to that one, I sent one of the deacons. But out of that meeting grew a ministry to homeless people in Croydon. A project of mission that set people on fire. So many homeless people helped. So many conversations about why we were doing this. So much love shown to people who were not used to being shown love. And the opportunity was in a brown envelope, like many other brown envelopes. So don't miss the opportunities when they come to you. Don't be too busy to respond. The opportunities may seem ordinary, but the results may be extraordinary. Find the the opportunities. Keep saying, Lord, what what is it that you're giving us the opportunity to do in this time, in this place, with the resources that we have? Look for opportunities. And then lastly, threats. There's one bit of the Palm Sunday story we only get in Luke's Gospel that we read. And that is the moment that the Gospel records Jesus in tears. He saw the city of Jerusalem. He loved his country. He loved his capital city. And he wept over it. If only you could see what was needed for peace. But you won't see it. Jesus could see the time when Jerusalem in all its splendor would be torn down. Invaded, defeated, ruined, desecrated. Because they did not recognize the time when God came to save them. And tears fell down the feet of Jesus. Understandable when Jesus saw uh, what was going to come. And when you know what happened at the end of Jerusalem, it makes your heart cry. If only they'd responded differently, the future could have been different. Tears because God's people have rejected him. Tears because God's people disobeyed, rebelled. Tears like the tears that flow down the 
the, the face of the prodigal son's father. Suddenly there's the threat that Jesus' ministry could be derailed by this overwhelming sadness that it will take center stage and everything else will be forgotten. But that's not what happened. Jesus moved on from the tears. He didn't forget them, but he channeled the energy of that sadness into positive action. In the case of Jesus, first of all, by going into the temple and evicting those who turned it into a chance to make a quick profit. Now, you and I can be overcome with tears of sadness. Uh, We mentioned uh, in our prayer time the state our world is in. Just look at what's happening in Africa. Just look at the knife crime here in our country and the lives that are lost almost daily. Look at the rise of the far right and racial hatred. Look at things that are happening in your family. And the temptation is not just to shed tears of sadness, but to be unable to escape from those tears of sadness. And that was the threat Jesus avoided. He was sad when he was right to be sad, but he didn't let sadness control his life. He channeled his response to that sadness into positivity, to make a difference, to make the world a better place by going to the cross and giving his life. It's not wrong to feel sad. It's absolutely right but we mustn't allow that sadness to take over our lives and to control it. We need to allow that sadness to channel us into positive action for the future. So, there we are. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Just one way of looking at what happened on a dusty road into Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago. An event that the Christian family remembers as Palm Sunday. Just have the last picture. It's an event that inspires us to praise, that challenges us to help people grow in their faith, that encourages us to find opportunities for mission and reminds us not to give in to sadness, but to channel our energies into making this world a better place. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that amazing event that we can remember that was so positive, so strong, so vibrant, so exciting, so life-changing. And we thank you for everyone who was there. Father, we pray that we might offer our praises as they did. And we pray, Lord, that you'll forgive us that our enthusiasm is nothing like theirs. But Lord, we also remember the the faith of that crowd that needed to be strengthened and your call to feed your sheep. And we pray, Lord, that we might be people who help folk around us who are not against you to understand more about what it means to follow Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that when there are doors of opportunity that we see, that we might take them and open them and go through them and take the opportunities that you're giving us. And Lord, when we're tempted to give up, when we're tempted to uh, just sigh our way into resignation, 
We pray, Lord, that the sadness that we rightly feel about our world might be channeled into positive action, that we might make this world a better place in the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray all our prayers. Amen. And we finish with a song that reminds us something of that first Palm Sunday. You are the King of glory. You are the Prince of peace.